As many of you know, for the past couple weeks, we read and examined how the ark of God had been captured, what had occurred during the seven months, the seven months when the Philistines were in possession of it, and how it was subsequently returned back to Israel. Now, again, it all, everything seemed fine. All seemed well. Now that the Ark of the Covenant was resting in the house of Abinadab in Kirith Jerim, in the territory of Benjamin. But having the Ark in Jewish territory didn't automatically solve Israel's problems. See, now another 20 to 25 years have passed since the events of chapter 7, and a new generation had arisen who were crying out, not for God, but for radical change in government. They either dismissed or forgot that that in that moment that their ancestor that when their ancestors left Egypt, the nation had looked to God as their king. Now that wasn't good enough. Why? Because it wasn't tangible. They didn't have a leader who they can see, touch, hear, and personally speak to. Or so they thought. This new generation lost sight of the privilege they had to have God himself lead them. They forgot how wonderful that was, that God was their king. You see, they saw the type of leadership that everyone else had and thought that it would work for them too. So in the chapters that we'll be covering this week, we're going to see how Israel went from a theocracy, which means that God was their king, to a monarchy, meaning man as king. Chapter 8 itself will show us what led to Israel's request for a king. And chapters 9 and 10 will then show us how Israel's king was selected and anointed. This here was a critical time in Israel's history. And as we'll see, it took prayers and guidance, the, the prayers and guidance of Samuel to bring them safely through this time of transition. So before we get into chapter 8, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you brought us here, Lord, that we're here this morning. We're thankful for that time of worship that we were able to spend in, in, uh, in singing to you. And, and yes, Lord, you are mighty. You are great. You are wonderful. You are powerful. You are merciful. Lord, we give you the honor and the praise and the glory every single moment and every single day. So now, Lord, as we continue in worshiping you through your word, we ask that you speak to us personally, Lord, and as a church, and that you will also speak to those that are watching 
this message online, Lord, or that even maybe hearing it, that you also speak to them powerfully, Lord. We know and believe that your word is active, it's powerful, and that, that it can reach the hardest hearts, Lord. So we ask that you continue to do that now, that all distractions will be removed and will be focused completely on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. The word of God says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His four, firstborn son named Joel, and his second, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore appoint a king to judge us, the same as all the other nations have. When they said this, when they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So we prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told them, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they had done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them. But solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them in his use, in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and vineyards and give them to his officers, of officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He could take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because the king you've chosen for yourself, because of the king you've chosen for yourself. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. Samuel listened to all the people's words and then repeated, and then repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them, the Lord told Samuel. Appoint a king for them. Then Samuel told the men of Israel, each of you go back to your city. The first nine verses of this chapter tell us what led to Israel's request for a king. Now, initially, we're given two reasons why the people 
demanded a king. First of all, because Samuel had grown old. And second of all, because Samuel's two sons were corrupt. Even though he was now older and still respected by the people, he made the mistake of doing something that only God should have done. Samuel appointed his two sons, Joel and Abijah, to be judges over Israel. And they turned out to be complete failures in this position. Verse 3 speaks of the corruption by saying that they had turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes and perverted justice. Like Eli's sons before them, they were more interested in power and money than ensuring justice was being maintained. Well, the corruption of Samuel's ungodly sons had become so intolerable that, the, that Israel's elders had no choice but to take action. So they all gathered together and went to Ramah, Samuel's hometown, to speak to the prophet on behalf of all the people. And then they basically told him, look, you're old and your sons are corrupt. Appoint a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel. Samuel's heart just sank. He thoroughly disapproved of their demand. But nevertheless, he knew that he had to come to the Lord for help. And so that's what he did. And at the end of verse 6, we see that he prayed to the Lord. And then the Lord answered him and told him to listen to what the people had to say. And then says in verse 7, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. Now, was it wrong? Was it wrong for the Israelites to request a human king? Well, no, not really. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 and 15, God had promised that someone would be raised up and identified as a king. But here's the thing, it would be in his, in God's perfect timing. And so this was the main issue that the Lord and the prophet were displeased about. The people had become so consumed with their immediate need of having a king as all the other nations that they ignored the blessings of having God as their king. However, in spite of his displeasure, God told Samuel that he would permit them to have a king. But he would also, but they would also need to know what that meant. I think that as we all, all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, we often make the same mistake. As individuals, this happens when we look at what others have and then want it too. We begin to covet. We begin to be envious. We forget 
that everything good that comes our way is because of is solely because of God's grace, kindness, and benevolence. See, instead of asking God for the things you want, ask him for the things you need and that he give them to you in his perfect will and timing. If you need a cell phone, for example, so that maybe a future employer, you're, you're, you're out sending your applications and you need a, a phone so that those employers, those potential employers can give you a call back for an interview, see it as a blessing if someone gives you an old flip phone, an old Nokia phone, that still works. Hey, you can still get that interview. And then maybe later on, you can save for that new phone you wanted. Now churches make this mistake too. When they look at the things that make a certain company or business successful and try to emulate that same exact model. They seem to forget that the church is not a business. It's, it's a place where God's Spirit ministers to people, to people who are hurting, to people who are just in need. And he does that through worship, the hearing of the word, and through fellowship. In fact, companies should want to look more like the church than the other way around. And as a nation, there are many people who make this, well, who want to make the same mistake. They want our country changed from a constitutional republic to a democratic socialist one. Now, they say this, they believe this because they see it possibly working in other countries. But what they fail to see is that just because it works there, it doesn't mean that it's going to work here. We have certain rights because of our constitution that other countries don't have. And here's the thing though. If it is, if this is God's plan, if if it is, if God's eventual plan is for our country to have another form of government, then that's his plan, that's his will. And it'll be in his timing. There's nothing we're going to be able to do to, to stop that. We can complain, we can whine and argue. But we have to remember that he builds nations, he builds governments, and tears them down too. All for his purpose and will and for his glory. He has a plan. And as Christians... If this country were to change and our rights are removed, then we must be ready to adapt to those changes. So, 
in verses 10 to 18, he tells the entire nation what God said would be the rights of the king who will reign over them. First, the king would take their sons to be their soldiers and field workers and their daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. Second, the king would take for himself the best of their land, cattle, and servants, and hand it out to whomever he wishes for his own personal use, and for his own personal use. And thirdly, the king would inflict heavy taxes on them. Yes, they will get what they wanted, but the king would essentially be a despot, a demanding dictator who would enrich himself at the, ex at the people's expense. Everything they once took pride in calling their own, their children, personal property, and their freedom will now be accessible to the king to take and to have. And when there's nothing left to take, the second half of verse 17 says, you will be his slave. At that point, they will cry out because of the king they've chosen for themselves. But the Lord won't answer them on that day. Well, by now, at this point, Israel cannot be dissuaded. Their minds are made up. Even after hearing what they can expect from such a king, they refuse to listen and continue to persist. We must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. However, now they also elaborated on their true motives. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. What this indicates is that the desire for a king wasn't really driven by Saul's age, uh, Samuel's age or his corrupt sons. That had little to do with it. What it was really about was a powerful fear and a strong need for security. Simply put, they were willing to give up their personal freedoms in order to have a leader that would make them feel safe and secure. Now, before continuing on, I want to make a quick point, point regarding the issue of freedom versus security. I agree that there are times when we may have to temporarily relinquish some of our personal freedoms for the sake of security. And a good example of this is the creation of, of TSA after 9-11. You want to make sure that as you're entering that plane that there's no bad people that are going to want to try to harm this country again. However, in a lot of cases, in many cases, this, sh this shouldn't be permanent and never, ever at the expense of your life, your liberty, your personal property, and your freedom to gather together our freedom to gather together as a church. Sadly, there are many states who have decided to restrict the right of a person to make responsible cho cho uh, choices and to meet in church because of the current pandemic. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that 
many of these states have taken it way too far. There are churches in California that have multi-million dollar fines. And there are pastors who are facing jail time just because they have their churches open and are preaching the gospel. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not speaking here about your choice to decide to wear a mask or not. That's your choice. No one, again, should force you to wear one. And neither should you force someone else to wear one or not wear one. And I'm not also speaking on whether someone should quarantine themselves for a week or two for simply going, for simply traveling 30 minutes from here to Las Cruces. I'm not speaking about that. If you want to stay home, that's fine. If you don't want to travel, that's fine. If you want to quarantine, that's fine. But if I want to visit a friend out there, or even if I want to take my family to Rudoso, I shouldn't have to feel like I'm being watched and I'm, I'm going to have to stay in my hotel for a week or two. I'm not really talking about that. And I could say a lot about that, but I won't. The point I'm making is that this passage shows us that God never intended his people to be controlled by any individual or government. His in, he intended his people to be led by him and him alone. And one day, when Jesus finally establishes his kingdom here on earth, then we will have a perfect government. As Christians, we have no king but Jesus. And our allegiance to him ought to be, and our allegiance ought to be to him. And we must obey God's word over the decrees of mayors, governors, and presidents. When Peter was told not to preach the gospel, do you remember what he said in Acts chapter 5, verse 29? He said, we must obey God rather than people. Well, in the last two verses, Yahweh confirms that he will indeed grant them a king. Now, perhaps the elders had someone in mind that they thought would make an excellent candidate. If so, they must have been disappointed when Samuel didn't ask for suggestions. See, in that moment, his main concern was to consult God for direction. And the only thing the Lord had directed him to do was to go ahead and appoint a king. Nothing more, nothing less. So for now, that was the end of the matter. Samuel then dismisses the assembly and instructs the people to leave Ramah and return to their homes. He now understood that even in his old age, he now had, had the enormous task of finding the man who God had chosen to be the first king of Israel who the next king would be and how long the nation would have to wait is uncertain. But in the next chapter, 
that we're about to read will were introduced will be introduced to him before his identity is made is made known to Samuel. So let's go to chapter nine and continue reading God's word. First Samuel chapter nine. There was a prominent man of Benjamin named Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorath, son of Aphia, son of Benjamin, son of a Benjamite. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than everyone else. One day, the donkeys of Saul's father, father Kish, wandered off. Kish said to his son Saul, take one of your servants, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul and his servant went through the hill country of Ephraim and went through the region of Shalisha, but they didn't find them. They went through the region of Shalim, nothing. Then they went through the Benjamite region, but then still did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come on, let's go back. Or my father will stop, will start, will stop worrying about his donkeys and start worrying about us. Look, the servant said, there's a man of God in this city who is highly respected. Everything he says is sure to come true. Let's go there now. Maybe he'll tell us which way we should go. Suppose we do go, said Saul said to his servant. What do we take the man? The food from our packs is gone, and there is no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul, Here, I have a little silver. I'll give it to the man of God, and, and he will go and he will tell us which way we should go. Formerly in Israel, a man who was going to inquire of God would say, Come, let us go see the seer. For the prophet of today was formerly called the seer. Good, Saul replied to his servant. Come on, let's go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they were climbing the hill to the city, they found someone, some, women, some young women coming out, of the, out to draw water and asked, Is the seer here? The woman answered, Yes. He is ahead of you. Hurry. He just now entered the city because there's a sacrifice for the people at the high place today. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes to the high place to eat. The people won't eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice after that. After that, the guests can go, can eat. Go up immediately. You can find him now. So they went up toward the city. Saul and his servant were entering the city when they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Now the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel, at this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him the land, anoint, I will send you from the, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people. Israel. He will save them from the Philistines because I have seen the affliction of my people, for their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man I told you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the city gate and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? 
I am the seer, Samuel answered. Go up ahead of me to the high place and eat with me today. When I send you off in the morning, I will tell you everything that's in your heart. As for the donkeys that wandered away from you three days ago, don't worry about them because they've been found. And who does all Israel desire but you and all your father's family? Saul responded, I am not a Benjamite from the smallest. Am I not a Benjamite from the smallest of Israel's tribes? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjamite tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? Samuel took Saul and his servant, brought him to the banquet hall, and gave them a place at the head of the at the head of the thirty or so men who had been invited. And Samuel said to the cook, Go get the portion of meat that I gave you, that I gave and told you to set aside. The cook picked up the thigh and what was attached to it and set it before Saul. Then Samuel said, Notice that you notice that the reserved place is set before you. Eat it, because it was saved for you for this solemn event at the time I said, I've invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Afterward, they went down from the high place to the city, and Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. They got up early, and just before dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof. Get up, and I'll send you on your way. Saul got up, and both he and Samuel went outside. As they were, as they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us, but you stay for a while, and I'll reveal the word of God to you. So the servant went on. Now, I imagine that ever since God told Samuel to appoint a king, he either must have been in constant prayer or on the lookout for who that might be. Well, this chapter basically is basically about how God worked things out so that this new king would be led to Samuel. The first part of the first part of chapter nine introduces us to a new character, a man named Saul, who had no idea that his entire life was about to change. Now, in the first two verses, we're given some background information about this new character. We're, we were first, we're first told that there was a prominent man of Benjamin, of the tribe of Benjamin, named Kish. Now, again, although Saul did say that that house was the smallest, or that clan was the smallest, the word prominent implies that Kish was actually a powerful, wealthy man. And his long genealogy testifies to a family of importance in the tribe of Benjamin. So what we gather is, again, although he was, they were the smallest house, he probably was the most powerful clan or family in that house. And then we're told that he had a son named Saul who was characterized as an impressive young man. But the only quality, it says, that made, of, made him more impressive among the Israelites was that he was a head taller than anyone else, and some have suggested that he was also good-looking. So it appears that the overall description we have of Saul is that he was tall and handsome. He was a young man 
and that he came from a wealthy and prominent family. The story then continued by telling us that Kish's donkeys had wandered off and that he had tasked Saul to take a servant and to go look for them. But after having searched through in four different places, he still couldn't find them. And by then, Saul was ready to call it quits. He was ready to call off the search out of fear that his father would stop worrying about the donkeys and start worrying about them. What's interesting here is that it seems that Saul had given up searching for his father's donkeys. But later, when we get to David, we're going to see that he wasn't one to give up. He's going to be presented as one who never gave up caring for either his earthly father's sheep or the sheep, the people, the Israelites of his, of his heavenly father. Now I mention this because it's just one example in which Saul demonstrated himself to be unqualified for his role as king. Now, before making their way back home, the servant suggested they consult a man of God as to which way they should go looking next. So with a small gift in hand, they approached the city where the man of God was. And then they were told by some young women that if they hurried, they would find that seer that they were looking for, making an appearance at a religious festival. Well, as they entered the city, to their surprise, they saw the man they were searching for coming towards them. Little did Saul know that at that moment, the person he was looking for, or the person he was looking at, was also looking for him. Meanwhile, the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel that he was sending a man from the land of Benjamin, and that he was to be anointed as the ruler over his people. Now, it's important to know that this didn't mean that Saul satisfied God's ultimate requirements. Rather, this only means that he was graciously letting the people have what they wanted, because he had seen their affliction and heard their cry. So beginning in verses 16 or verses 17 to the end of the chapter, we're told how that encounter went between Samuel and Saul. Now before we get, before we go through that, I want you to keep in mind that it was the Lord himself who worked out ordinary activities to make all this happen. Everything from the donkeys disappearing to the information he received from the young woman, God was working out his purpose to lead Saul to Samuel. And this is an important suggestion, or not a suggestion, this is an important concept that we all need to understand. God is working all kinds of things in the background that we have no idea about. And if we just trust him to lead us and we just follow him and obey him, he's going to work everything out 
He's working in the background. Trust that. Believe that. So when the two met, Samuel did four things. He instructed him to meet him at the high place to eat with him that day. He then told him that he would have some important news for him in the morning. The third thing he did was put Samuel's mind at ease by telling him that the donkeys that had wandered away had been found. And fourth, he told Saul that he was God's choice for king. It was this that shocked him the most, and he could only reply that he was unworthy of this high honor. And then at the banquet, Saul was given the place of honor and was served the choicest cut of meat. In the evening, Samuel had a long walk with him and then asked him to spend the night in his home in the town below. The next morning, Samuel detained Saul as he was leaving the city, and as his servant went on ahead of him, the prophet revealed the word of God to him. Now, in a sense, God does the same with you when he's ready to reveal his purpose for you. And let me explain to you how he often does this. He often will do this when he has you all to himself, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in quietness, whether it's in a time of worship, whether it's during these times when you're reading his word and listening to the message, he may reveal to you what his purpose is, but it's going to be during a time when he has you all to himself, when your attention is just on him and his word. He will inform you that he has something or he has important news for you. It's almost as if he was he excited to tell you. He will put your mind at ease regarding any concerns you have. You may have all these questions in your head, but he's going to say, don't worry, I got this. And he will inform you. He will let you know that he has chosen you specifically. Now, just as Saul had a choice to meet with Samuel, he could he could have said he could have said no. Um, I'm too busy. I you know just tell me where my donkeys are and I'm gonna go back home. And my dad's worried, and I'm tired. I just want to go to my bed. Could have came up with all kinds of excuses to not have, not spend time with Samuel, but he decided to. He decided he made that choice to, to meet with him. And you too, you have a choice as well to have that personal meeting with him. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now, okay, so as we move on to the final chapter we'll be covering today, I'm going to, it's going to pick basically right up where things ended in chapter 9. So, 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. 
Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it out on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, Hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Today, when you leave me, you will find two men at Rachel's grave, or Rachel's tomb, at Zelza, in the ter territory of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you went looking for have been found, and now your father has stopped being concerned about the donkey and is worried about you, asking, what should I do about my son? You will proceed from there until you come to the oak of Tabor. Three men are going, three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One bringing three goats, one bringing three loaves of bread, and one bringing a clay, a clay jar of wine. They will ask you, are you give, they will ask how you are and give you two loaves of bread, which will, which you will accept from them. After that, you will come to Gibeah of God, where there, where there are Philistine, where there's a Philistine garrison. When you arrive at the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place prophesying. They will proceed, they will be preceded by harps, tambourines, flutes, and lyres. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you, and you will prophesy with them. And you will be transformed when these thing, when these signs have happened to you. Do whatever your circumstances require, because God is with you. Afterwards, go ahead of me to Gilgal. I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice fellowship offerings. Wait seven days until I come to you and show you what to do. When Saul turned around to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all the, Saul, all the signs came out, came about that day. When Saul and his servants arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he prophesied along with them. Everyone who knew him previously and said, and saw him prophesying with the prophets asked each other, what has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man who was from there asked, and who is their father? As a result, as a result, is Saul also among the prophets became a popular saying. Then Saul finished prophes prophesying and went to the high place. Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where did you go to look for the donkeys? Saul answered, when we saw they weren't there, we went to Samuel. Tell me, Saul's uncle, Saul's uncle asked, what did Samuel say to you? Saul told him, he assured us that donkeys had been found. However, Saul did not tell him what Samuel had said about the matter of kingship. Samuel summoned the people to the Lord at Mitzvah and said to the Israelites, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel out of Egypt, and I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your troubles and afflictions. You said to him, You must set a king over us. 
Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. Samuel had all the tribes of Israel come forward, and the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin was selected. Then he had the tribe of Benjamin come forward by its clans, and the Matarite clan was selected. Finally, Saul's son, Saul's son of Kish, Saul, son of Kish, was selected. But when they searched for him, they could not find him. They again inquired of the Lord, Has he come by here yet? The Lord replied, There he is, hidden among the supplies. They ran and got him from there, and when he stood among the people, he stood a head taller than everyone else. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the one the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the entire population. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Samuel proclaimed to the people the rights of the kingship. He wrote them on a scroll, which he placed in the presence of the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people home. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah. And brave men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But some wicked men said, how can this guy save us? They despised him and did not bring him a gift. But Saul said nothing. Now, in the previous chapter, chapter 9, and the first half of this one, it puts the monarchy in a positive and hopeful light by telling us how it was initiated and endorsed by the people. But after verse 17, there's more of a negative tone towards it when the warnings of chapter 8 are reiterated. So again, continuing on from chapter 9, this, this, this chapter here starts off by telling us that Samuel prepared to reveal God's purposes to Saul. And he did that by first anointing him with oil. Now this was also accompanied by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, which we see in verses 6 and 10. It represented God's approval of Saul as ruler of his people. And afterwards, in confirmation to both Saul and the people of his divine call and commission, Saul was told that he would experience three signs. The first sign occurred near Rachel's grave, where two men informed Saul that his father's donkeys had been found. The second sign occurred at the Oak of Tabor, where three men gave Saul two loaves of bread. You have to remember that they had three loaves. The one man had three loaves of bread. Well, they only gave him two, just as Samuel said what happened. The third sign occurred at Gibeah of God where he met a group of prophets coming down from the high place prophesying. Upon his encounter with him, the Spirit of God power came powerfully on him, and he prophesied along with them. Now, we shouldn't read verse 9 and assume that Saul was genuinely, genuinely converted. If he had his story would have looked completely different. Therefore, it makes sense to look at that verse, verse 9, and conclude that the spirit that came powerfully on him 
equipped Saul to be king, but he did not know God in a personal, saving way. In other words, he was God's man officially, even though he, was a, he wasn't a true believer. Well, those who witnessed the occasion thought it was strange. Now, this doesn't suggest that Saul had now become prophet, but only in this one instance, God enabled him to carry out this prophetic gift. This was a remarkable and convincing sign to all the people that God was able, was with Saul and had chosen him to be king. And it also signified Saul's acceptance of his new role. Saul's new demeanor led his uncle to ask, where did you go? Saul responded by telling him about finding the donkeys with Samuel's help. However, he left a key detail out. Saul didn't tell him what Samuel had said about the matter of kingship. One reason for this was to ensure that the events that were about to take place weren't going to be influenced by his family's wealth and power. From this point, the concept of the monarchy itself shifts from something that seems good to a more negative, critical view. It's almost as if verses 17 through 26 is a continuation of chapter 8. This section begins by telling us that sometime after he had anointed Saul, Samuel summoned all the people at Mitzvah to announce the appointment of a king. But before making the actual announcement, he once again reminded them by, that by demanding a king, they had rejected their God. The same God who had brought them out of Egypt, rescued them from the power of the Egyptians and all the kingdoms that were oppressing them, and who still saves them from all their troubles and afflictions. But since the people were determined to have a king, Samuel essentially says to them, let's do this and began the process of identifying the king, who, keep in mind, was unknown to everyone but Samuel. So the Israelites presented themselves before the Lord by their tribes and clans, and in the process of elimination, the tribe of Benjamin was selected. A tribe was then narrowed down by clans, until Saul, the son of Kish, was selected. But when they went looking for him, they, they couldn't find him. Again, it's been suggested that he may have been hiding. And he may have been hiding either because, either out of modesty or out of fear. When God was asked if Saul had presented himself yet, the Lord replied, there he is, hidden among the supplies. Here's what's interesting about this. Even after he'd been prophetically anointed, 
received three signs confirming his divine appointment and had been empowered by the Spirit of God, he still did not want to be publicly recognized. When Saul finally did appear and was presented to the people, his outstanding physique, his good looks, the fact that he was a head taller than everyone else, elevated him in the eyes of the people. They were like, yeah, that looks like a king. Young, handsome, tall, wealthy. Yeah, that's who we're looking at. He almost had that celebrity look that people were looking for. His outward features helped convince them that he was a, that he was suitable for that position, which they confirmed by shouting, Long live the king. But the real issue here was whether he'd have the inner features necessary to be a king and a leader. Now, regardless of the situation, in the eyes of the Lord, Saul was never really qualified. You see, the, prof the prophetic word of Jacob was that the scepter or uh, the kingship would not depart from Judah. This meant that the promised dynasty of kings would eventually produce the Messiah and it had to originate in Judah, from the tribe of Judah. Saul was a Benjamite and could not then meet the basic prerequisites of lineage. He didn't meet the qualifications. This would later, this qualification would later be fulfilled when David, who was of the house of Judah, was anointed king. So after all the cheers died down, the celebration had finished and had quieted down, Samuel reaffirmed to all the tribes and clans the rights of kingship, which he had, which he had outlined in chapter 8. He then wrote them on a scroll and placed it in the presence of the Lord and then dismissed the people and sent them home. Chapter 10 then concludes by telling us that when Saul went to his home in Gibeah, God touched the hearts of some brave men who accompanied him. They had his back. However, we also learn that there were some wicked men who felt that the new king was inadequate. He didn't have the leadership skills to protect or to save the nation. He was unqualified. They not only despised him, but their disapproval of him became evident when they didn't even bring him a gift, the, the customary gift people usually or leaders usually brought to a new king. But instead of using his new powers to silence them, to hang them, to kill them, to get rid of them. The end of verse 27 says that Saul was the one who stayed silent. He said nothing. Now, perhaps he thought that they would just simply go away, 
if he ignored them or maybe he chose not to respond in order not in order to make not to make the situation worse but whatever the reason may have been the new king now had loyal friends loyal brave men behind him but he also had a large number a large number of enemies new enemies all around him so chapter 9 and 10 demonstrate how God was at work behind the scenes, bringing Samuel and Saul together miraculously, revealing his will to Samuel that he should uh, anoint Saul, bringing dozens of other people into Saul's life as confirmation of his anointing, and finally changing Saul's character through his spirit. Well, church, let me tell you this. God is still at work today. Sometimes it's difficult for us to see or believe that he is. And it's often clear only to those who have eyes of faith. His work is of a different nature from that of this biblical text in that this story relates specifically to how he moved and worked in Israel in order to bring salvation to the world. It is a particularly significant step in salvation history. See, since through Israel's monarchy, God would eventually provide the great king, the true king, the one and only king who would die for the sins of the world, who would die for the sins of, would die for your sins and mine. But guess what? God's work isn't finished. The Bible continues to trace the story until the end of this age and until all things are finished and eternity begins but in the meantime Christians believe that God is still at work on various levels and in many different ways in order to accomplish a variety of purposes church God's spirit is also at work we should also take from this passage the means by which God leads his people. The anointing of Saul is a parallel to another passage familiar to us Christians because of its use by Jesus in his early ministry. He said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Thus, our passage about King Saul has three features in common with this verse, with Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Both were given the Spirit of the Lord. Both were anointed, and both were commissioned for a specific task. Saul to serve as Israel's first king, and the Messiah to, pray, to proclaim the good news to the poor, anointing and reception of God's Spirit are indispensable for service in His kingdom. 
finally saw is one of the best examples of personal transformation because of the work of God's Spirit in one's life. One's personal conduct and moral character are central, not only in one's standing before God, but for also leadership among God's people. And furthermore, as long and as unfortunate uh, Saul's story is, or as it continues, we're going to see that God apparently doesn't bestow his spirit forever. Especially where there is no continued change of character. And many times, that's what happens to a lot of people. There's a lot of, you know, there's this idea that just because you're an American, that automatically makes you a Christian. But it doesn't. Just because you have, you call yourself a Christian, doesn't mean that you're a follower of Christ. So you must ask yourself, am I following Christ? What do I believe about Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And if you can't answer that honestly, then maybe you're just wearing a name tag that says I'm a Christian. But in all reality, you're not. So I want to give you an opportunity right now to become one. To surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Allow His Spirit to come and fill you so that your life can truly be transformed. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head, and repeat this prayer with all sincerity. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I now turn from my sins. I repent of my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. And thank you for saving me. And now fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Church. We hope that Pastor Angel's message blessed you this morning. We want to encourage you to spread the gospel by sharing this message through social media. If you want more information about Fresh Vision Church, such as our service time, how to get connected, or you want to hear current or past studies, please visit our website at fvcelp.org. If you're interested in donating to the ministry of Fresh Vision Church, there is a PayPal link in the video description below. Once again, thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Church. We pray that you have a blessed week, and we hope to see you again soon.